We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. Welcome back to another episode of the Is For Podcast. I am your host, Danger, and joining me as always is Sarge and Monster. Say hi, Sarge. I'm present and accounted for today. Say hi, Monster. Hi, how are you? Hey, <laughs> that's the enthusiasm that I was needing out of you, Sarge, but since we're here now. I'm going to go double. I'm going to go double to try to make up for it. You know All what? Right. We're actually talking about a movie that I actually enjoy watching. So Okay. When's the last time you've seen this movie? Tonight, E is for Event Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> we should tell our people what we're talking about. E is for Event Horizon. When's the last time you've seen Event Horizon, Sarge? Three months ago. All right. And you, Monster? Longer than that, but uh, I did I did refresh my memory last night. Okay. I actually watched it uh, about a month ago. I just kind of came across it on one of the many streaming services we have. It may have been one of the ones where it was free or whatever. I don't know, but I watched it and I got to say, I still enjoyed it. I did. Was, you know, I enjoyed it, but at the same time, so Paul W.S. Anderson, writer or director of this one, we know what he did before. We know he did Doom. We know he did Mortal Kombat there's only so much you can expect out of somebody who gave you Mortal Kombat before, you know? Yeah, but at least Mortal Kombat was kind of fun. Like, Event Horizon's one of those movies that, like, on paper, I should like it way more than I do. And then Mortal Kombat is a stupid video game movie that is pure, terrible schlock, and I like it way better. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know... Paul W.S. Anderson has um, a certain amount of schlock within himself. Cause I mean, event horizon was just sci-fi schlock. Basically Anderson is the sci-fi Corbin. Like Roger Corman. Yeah. No, Roger Corman is the sci-fi schlock of Roger Corman. He's done a hundred no, sci-fi movies. I know he I know he's done a bunch of sci-fi movies, but Anderson pretty much just stays in sci-fi and all he puts out is just schlock. Well, and, I think I think the difference is is Roger Corman puts out schlock pretending he's Alfred Hitchcock, whereas Anderson puts out schlock thinking he's Michael Bay. Like he does these big action pieces, but has half the budget and it just looks like video game cutscenes, which makes sense because most of his movies are video game adaptations. <laughs> he's had a few of them. So yeah, I mean, but it's like when you give him uh, like an original property, like event horizon, I think it's fun because it is just pure unhinged influence because <laughs> i mean event horizon is basically the is, is basically hellraiser in space which was better than hellraiser uh, in space right not to be confused with hellraiser 4 bloodlines which is hellraiser, hellraiser in space yeah <laughs> yeah so i i still enjoyed event horizon when i watched it it was still fun to me you know it's it's a very when it comes to movies like that you know 
we'll we will call it space horror. Yes, right. It's absolutely. We'll call it, it space horror. It's what it's trying to be, you know. And then it's like you put it into like the aliens category. Aliens, ooh, ooh. great movie. Oh yeah, great, great movie. movie. Great movie. The first three, the first three, and I, and to a degree, Resurrection, great movies. Uh you get into like Jason. What is it? Jason in space. Which one was Jason that? Jason X. X. Yeah. X. You know, it's like. Oh, no and then event horizon comes and you're not expecting much but what it does give you with the cast that it has in it is is pretty good i'm not saying it's the best it's not as good as independence but day or Winfield, oh my God. <laughs> but it's still pretty good but no that's the problem is with the cast and with the set design and stuff, it should be better. It should be, but it wasn't. But it, it, no, you just gotta it, take it for what it is. And I won't steal any thunder because I'm sure Danger will bring this up soon. But it's a well-known fact that the movie we got is not exactly the movie that was made to begin yep. with. And we which, can talk about the lost footage when we get there because that, yes. that is part of what we're going to talk about. Sure, of course. Sarge, do you know anything about the lost footage of this movie? I do not, and I don't really. So movies I enjoy watching, I really don't. Excuse me, I really don't go into the lost footage because then I get disappointed that it could have been something different, maybe something better. The exception to that is the We Were Soldiers movie, and that's only because before I watched a movie, I read the book. I have an autographed copy of the book by uh, Hal Moore you and Joseph under, Galloway. You served under him, right? I didn't serve under him. I served as a uh, attache attached to the department that he was in. So, That's yes. Cool. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool, dude. Um, also, side note, while this, this is in my head, talk about pretty cool dudes. I was at uh, Bed Bath. No, no. Okay. I was in Bed Bath and Beyond. No, definitely not you. Whoa, 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 whoa. No story starts <laughs> off with a cool dude at Bed Bath and Beyond. Was he Let in the finish. Beyond section? No, actually, it was it, it was Bath and Body Works. Oh, even better, even better. However, however, let me just let let, let me just get on with my story here. So my truck broke down at Highwoods Boulevard, and I had to wait for the tow truck to come and you went and, to, and take care of my car. You went there and, for help, and I had tiniest Sarge with me, and I needed to keep her occupied. Okay, now so we walked there. We walked around and she wanted some hand lotion and some smell good stuff because she's the prissiest five-year-old you're ever going to meet. So we go in there and I'm just talking to her. I'm just randomly talking to my child like I talk to my child. We're in the checkout line and some guy goes, Sarge? And I'm caught me by surprise. What? Yes, that's, that's me. Sarge from Danger and Sarge? Yeah. Oh my God. And it's like really weird. Never thought. And Bath and Body Works, I was gonna run into a fan. We have a and then his wife, and then his wife was like, "Who?" <laughs> now we know. Now we know our target demographic, and I think we should start to shift. <laughs> anyways, anyways, sorry, I, that was all. It just, well, it this just week, came back to me. I thought L cool. is for lotion. <laughs> I am going to pivot. E is for the event of the season. 
which is the 60% off sale. No, no. We're talking e is to for eucalyptus wipe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Event Horizon that was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, as we have already mentioned, written by Philip Eisner, produced by Lawrence Gordon, Lloyd Levin, and Jeremy Bolt. It was released August 15th, 1997. And it has a final runtime of 96 minutes. Now. The best 96 minutes of your life. I wouldn't say the best, but it's a fun time. All right. All right. So where do we start any story? We start at the beginning. So Philip Eisner, who wrote the movie, he wrote it after a family tragedy. And he was, uh, he had recently entered a multi-picture writing agreement with Paramount which I didn't realize that writers or anybody entered multi-picture agreements with a studio since those of, you know, the like twenties and thirties, you know, actors would sign on with a studio and produce just movies for that studio. I didn't realize that was still a thing, but it was at least in 1997. So, so he started to develop this story that, you know, to push himself back into work, he pitched it to the studio as the shining in space. And then he had no detailed treatment written down. He just pitched an idea to the studio and he really didn't know how he was going to go about doing it. So, you know, with this uh, blended subject matter that he didn't know how to formulate it together and the fragile emotional state he was in from the family tragedy, which I do not know what it was. I could not find anything on what his family tragedy was. He entered this, super long writer's block period where he could go with anything. And so then he ended up coming up with the script for the movie. For- well, I know, I know in the film, Sam Neill, part of his deal is he's dealing with something with his wife and kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's also another character who she's, she's like really distraught because she had to leave her son back on earth. And he's like in a wheelchair and she starts, you know, so there's a lot of projecting into this movie. Yeah. There's a lot of projecting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing, and I didn't know before doing the research for this, that it was born out of a family tragedy, but after knowing that and seeing the characters in the movies and the struggles they were having, yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah. But then we move on to Anderson, who was offered the movie or offered a couple movies after the box office success of, uh, Mortal Kombat, which I didn't realize was actually seen as a box office success because I just see it as a personal failure. <laughs> oh my god, I love that movie. It's it's fine. It's, it's fine. so, I so like why the did new they Mortal Kombat make... that came out? The new Mortal Kombat movie? Yeah, that's a good time. I haven't seen it. Why so my assumption is they picked Anderson because Roland Emmerich was too busy producing some giant dumpster fire behind his house. This so is right they went about, with Anderson instead. This is about the time that that um that he would have been working on your favorite Independence Day. I mean, it just makes sense that he'd been working on that. And so you went to that to see that in theaters instead of this. Do I mean, you have to do you have to put in a two week notice for a podcast or do you just get up and leave? Like, I don't know the protocol. I've never quit one. So two, two, two things about uh Casey state or, or danger statement. Sorry. Um, <laughs> don't use the government name. I know. Right. We're in enough trouble as it is. But my, anyway, my parents gave me that name. Okay. You, you go with the one that your wife gave me. <laughs> 
I can't say that on the air. Um, <laughs> if his wife calls you danger, and no, okay, okay. So, so two, so right. two things right. about uh, two things about your statement, right? I can understand how Mortal Kombat was a success, even though it was a video game movie tragedy. Like it was a hot dumpster fire, but it was a better dumpster fire than Mario. I. A hundred percent. An actual dumpster fire is better dumpster fire than Mario. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. So it could be easily seen as a as as a success because how many 13, 14, 15 year old kids who grew up playing Mortal Kombat and right, stubbing went, your toe is better than breaking your foot. I mean, yeah, went to go see the Mortal Kombat. How did their parents go see the Mortal Kombat movie? I can see how it would be a success. Yeah. Now, okay, I'll, I'll give we you that. turned, we turned as adults, we have turned the original Mortal Kombat movie, right, into a drinking game. Every time they do something that is a not 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 relevant to the game, or b some 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 cheesy cop out move, we all take drinks. We have never made it through forty five minutes of the movie. Period. So he had turned down <laughs> he he had turned down the script for directing the sequel and the opportunity to direct X-Men, The X-Files and Alien Resurrection, which I th- would like to see his version of X-Men, <laughs> the the Brian Singer X-Men that came out in 2000. I think it would have been been great. But he turned all those down because he wanted to make an R-rated movie. Because he couldn't make Mortal Kombat what he wanted it to be, which I think what he wanted it to be was a bit more graphic like the Mortal Kombat movie that we got just a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, that one had uh, a guy get sliced in half and you saw his, his innards and stuff. So I need to see that. I still haven't seen the new one. It's, I haven't seen the new one either. It's good. I, I really enjoyed it. I I think it was actually a step in the right direction for video game adaptations. I I think in the '90s we got um, a lot of effort. Yeah. I mean, as the uh, the Mario that you mentioned, Sarge, and then uh, Double Dragon, which was another. Um, an attempt awful. was made. Yes. <laughs> yes, an attempt. We applaud your attempts, or as we say down south, bless their hearts. Yeah. Bless their. Still hearts. holding out for that God of War movie. I really hope it happens. You got that. It was. Uh, no, sorry. They just did a whole bunch of other action-based or Immortals was one, and I don't know the Greek. And, what? Yeah, I don't know. Immortals was a oh, Immortals was a good movie. Yeah, I'm not yeah, saying it was I, a bad movie. I'm just saying that like there's only one scene in that movie I can't bear to stomach to watch. Are you talking about like Ray Harryhausen, like Clash of the Titans, Jason and the Argonauts stuff? No, I'm actually because I love those too. <laughs> well, no, the Ray Harryhausen were, ones were great, but I, you know, we got the remakes of them, and then you know, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So Paramount sent him Eisner's script for Event Horizon, which he had been trying to develop with develop with Lawrence Gordon and Lloyd Levlin, as I had mentioned before, and it was first pitched as now. Remember, the original idea was Shining in Space. It was the shining in space. Now it's haunted house story in space. <laughs> so yeah. tomato, tomato. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. okay. Right. So <laughs> producers thought it had potential. Um, 
But the original script involved a cruise ship, Event Horizon, exploring a, a space cruise ship, Event Horizon, exploring a series of hauntings by tentacular, I don't know, tentacle aliens having crossed the threshold of their planet or dimension. That was we're the, getting into some uh, some uh, stuff. Some Lovecraft. Yeah, no, right? Yeah, it, it's it borderline. It's borderline uh, hentai and Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> that tells and you where, audience, that tells you where we are as as people on this show. You guys went hentai. I went Lovecraft. So I did not go hentai. I was leaving the whole damn thing alone. If, if and, we, and, and and listen, 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 audience. If if you know what hentai is, you need Jesus just a little bit more. Okay, so throwing it out there. So, monster, I know for a fact that if we were not recording, you would have gone hentai or Lovecraft. No, no, <laughs> absolutely not. I'm not. I, uh, I, hey, everybody's got their thing. Hentai is is far from mine. <laughs> so, Sarge, on what you were talking about, Alien earlier. So yeah. Anderson's initial reaction to the script was that it was too close to Alien, and so his producer and collaborator, Jeremy Bolt felt it was a terrific concept, but very dense in terms of length and storyline was a bit lost. So I can see from that. the, from the little bit of research I, I did, it gave, I got the impression that they basically said alien is sort of like a slasher in space and they didn't really want like a boogeyman, a guy walking around in a suit like, which is essentially what Alien, the, the monster, is. Yeah. Um, Sarge, you had a confused look on your face. What was that? About? I didn't have a confused look. I had a... Concern? A, a, I, don't I don't know what type of look to call that. I mean, after... I I, I, I never read the script for, for Event Event Horizon. Right? I, I never, ever... Wasn't there when they pitched it. How, after seeing the movie, could they just... Could they be like, it's like Aliens... I will never understand. Well, remember well, the original, uh, the original script actually had aliens in it with tentacles, and um, it was a whole uh, space horror movie with aliens in it. So mm. I could see that you know, whereas Monster's favorite film, Independence Day, this the aliens were on Earth. You know, remember um, Will Smith's great line, "Welcome to Earth," and punched him in the face. Right, right. Which you know, not every movie can contain that level of energy. It takes a special type of uh, shit, but that only Emmerich can do. Yeah, no, he's he's phenomenal at it. It's it's the worst thing you can do, but he's great at it. Uh, but let's definitely keep in mind the difference between Alien and Aliens because that's oh, absolutely two completely different things too. Sure and, is. And I think Event Horizon doesn't stick the landing but it tries to kind of piggyback off of some of the feel and vibe of alien oh for sure you know for you've got sure. you know alien you've got that group of essentially you know space truck drivers they try to kind of get that same vibe here just it it, it doesn't quite hold up to that level, but that's, I think that's what they're shooting for. Wasn't the original, this, the first ship in alien, wasn't it like a garbage hauler or something like that? Uh, no, no, I think it was a transport team. Was it? I don't remember exactly. It's been a lot of times I've seen the original. Because alien. they were transported. Cause if in the, in the second and aliens, 
when um, Paul Reiser was briefing um, Sigourney Weaver's character. Briefly. Yeah, they they were like, uh, they said something like the cost of the cargo and the ship and everything that you were hauling far exceeded, yada, 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 yada. And they were like in a sticker with the bill, essentially. So... They were, yeah. yeah, I I feel like they were literally just they were the equivalent of cargo drivers. Truck drivers. Like, yeah, truck drivers, were, damn it. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't challenging, I was just curious. Yeah. So. But but when you actually like put your finger on it, I I'm not exactly sure. It's yeah. been too long since yeah. I watched it. So all right. So Anderson gave the script a major rewrite, basically taking out all the alien stuff and um he wrote the entire thing just kind of picturing a classic haunted house movie. And so he will aim to, you know, incorporate, incorporate significant influences of horror. So that's where he's shot to reintroduce a lot of the elements of the shining and the haunting. Those were his two big influences for it. There were other ones, you know, more on the sci-fi side of things, but those were his his horror influences for this. Yeah, and I get that that's what he's going for, but the execution is is the execution is not debated at all as far as right. they can land it. So, because they created suspense from the unknown, the evil presence was hidden from the viewer. This was the whole thing behind The Shining on why he wanted to use the shiny port and their endings included amb- ambiguities of perception in the audience, which I think was a mistake in this film because it's like when you have something as like concrete as some of the stuff that happened in the movie to leave things as ambiguous as some of the things that happened. It's like, well, what, what happened? So anyway, he said he was also interested in the concept of hell and the ship itself being possessed rather than going, oh, it's aliens doing this. And so he added that to the script. So he wanted to make the ship more of hell in itself. So the visions of hell in the ship's video log were inspired by 16th century Renaissance painters that he saw while touring art galleries with his production designer. Anderson said these scenes were filmed at the end of production with a smaller unit so studio executives probably had never bothered to see them. And so studio executives stopped watching dailies at a certain point. And so he filmed all of the gory stuff after everything was pretty much after they stopped watching the, the, <laughs> the uh, stuff. So he never bothered to screen them or they never bothered to screen them beforehand. thinking they were just insert shots. Mm. He stated that when the executive saw the screening of a rough edit of the rough edit, they were shocked. This was, he said, this is the studio that made Star Trek. So I think they were, they, so I think they kind of thought it was like Star Wars again, but more violence or something. And they were not really expecting what they got. (laughs) I understand the Renaissance painting thing, but if you really go back and kind of freeze frame those shots they are a very specific flavor mm-hmm. of a depiction of hell that is such a Clive Barker ripoff that it's sort of like, is it a homage or is it a ripoff? You know well, what I mean? It's funny. It's that, a fine line. It's yeah. a fine line between the two. It's funny that you mentioned Clive Barker because Clive Barker consulted on the film in all of pre-production. 
That makes sense. That <laughs> yeah, checks there we go. out. Yeah. yeah. So that explains why it's Hellraiser in space. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, it, it, all I could see in it was Hellraiser. So actually, when I saw the hell scenes, I, I, I'm air quoting the hell scenes during the movie. It actually brought back to the uh, old school Dante Infernos. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen the uh, the actual painting, the artist renditions yeah. of what hell looks like. To me, that's what that brought back. So yeah, I dove, yeah, I dove heavily into that after watching Red Dragon, and I kind of went off the deep end as far as like <laughs> um, all that stuff. So I played the game. I never played the game. I've... Cool. They had a it's, game. Yeah. There was yeah. A game. It's. It's God of War, but through the seven circles of hell. Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, it's, it's I'm gonna, gross. I'm, I'm going to buy you the book for Christmas. That's what Monster's getting for Christmas. He's getting it's, a book. Oh, thank you. I, I would like a light read. Well, I was going to say, it's a tough read. Like, just the way that it's written, it's a, it's a tough read. I mean... Oh, yeah. I mean, do you like, um, you know, what was that? 15th century prose? <laughs> Ye olde English? Yeah. Look... I've read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I can handle Dante's Inferno. So it's like reading the King James version, but with all the bad <laughs> stuff. So get ready for all the yees and days, and yeah, my favorite. Yeah, and yeah. So all right, filming took place in Pilot Studios. Anderson modeled the Event Horizon ship after the Notre Dame Cathedral. So there's that specific type of of look that it had. So the model of the Event Horizon actually includes a complete X-Wing from Star Wars as part of the antenna array. The model is visible on the lower portion of the event horizon during the first flyby by the Lewis and Clark. So it can be seen for like half a second in the movie, but it's a cool little thing that's there. If you look for it, you can find it. So effect supervisors, Richard Yarrick, I guess, and Neil Corbold kept most visuals in camera and moving sets were constructed for the gyrosphere gravity drive and the revolving tunnel that looked like a cheese grater that <laughs> it, it just looks like a cheese grater with a walking platform in it. The literal haunted house attraction yes. that leads into the, yeah, that yep. I, it's one of those things that like on the one hand, I can kind of appreciate the schlocky, B movie feel of it, but on the other hand, it's like, wow, that is that's the best we could do. <laughs> so, so I was I was deployed, and we were watching this movie. And when you get deployed, sometimes you have a lot of downtime, and because there's really nothing else to do, you start really getting into a few things. And one of the things we got into about Event Horizon was the accuracy of the spinning of that little chamber to create the gravity. We had a guy in our unit, his name was Char, and dude had a PhD in science, and he was in the Army. Ugh. And he wrote out the scientific equation for how to gen- how fast something had to move to generate gravity. Well, you're talking about the big spinning wheel. I'm talking about the tunnel they're walking Yeah, the through. tunnel. Yeah, the tunnel. Okay. All right. So Apparently, well, that generates gravity, too. <laughs> I... I 
Sure. I didn't quite, yeah. when it comes to sci-fi stuff, I don't question a lot of logic behind a lot of it because it's like, if I get too far into questioning it, right. You know, I'm, I'm no longer having a good time. Uh, There's, I got to suspend some reality when it comes to sci-fi stuff. However, from what I have seen and read, they actually make an attempt to use theoretical ideas mm -hmm. to to make their point uh, a matter of fact i i know when sam neal's character is actually explaining explaining it yeah yep christopher yep. nolan stole it verbatim for interstellar like the exact like conversation and the example with the folding of the paper and stuff so and and do you know so what I you're stealing monster thunder <laughs> But that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. No, uh, so that is something that is further down in my notes about that's yeah. one of the inspirations that this movie has given to other things and one of the places that it's referenced in pop culture because right. uh, this movie has actually become, uh, you know, as we'll talk about, a cult classic and it's referenced in places all over the place. And this movie was one of the first places that that, uh, that you know, folding the paper using a pen to explain a wormhole actually comes into existence. Is there a difference between it has a cult following and it's a cult classic? Yes. Okay. It has a cult following. <laughs> okay. Cult thank classic. you. All right. I'll, I'll give you that. So for scenes depicting the zero gravity, the actors were actually hung upside down in harnesses and spun around for filming. But the, crew practiced in zero gravity in pools before shooting which oh. it is hard to think that this uh this production had um rehearsals <laughs> i guess that would fit into i don't know so budget constraints forced the effects department to introduce magnetic boots and instead of you know to get around some of the you know explaining of things because the majority of scenes were filmed in a studio on the gath the gothic inspired sets and the crew were limited on how much they could leave. Anderson said that the cast experienced a kind of cabin fever that served their performances better, which I think worked for that. Yeah. Yeah. Kent, does, is there anything in your notes about why Lawrence Fishburne sits in a chair hanging from the ceiling? Yes. <laughs> okay. Cause I really want you to explain that to me <laughs> before we're, <laughs> before we're okay. done here. Now I can't, I don't have the explanation for the entire thing, but I have okay. an explanation for kind of what led to that. Because so. like, there's these scenes where they're like in turbulence and like they're sitting there and the, you know, you see the guys like kind of like jerking around a little bit while they're trying to hold steady. And he's like swinging like a child. <laughs> and it's like, Lawrence Fishburne is a badass, no, And he is. He, he is. it's so silly. It's, so silly so actually so a couple of the actors in this have actually become tied to other sci-fi franchises like but, fishburne in the matrix like fishburne in the matrix and yeah. sam neill in jurassic park and sure. actually um oh isaac I'll, i don't know i'll say it i'll get to him in a second but uh and the harry potter series okay yeah okay yeah is that is that Noseworthy or ear? What, what's his I, name? I don't remember. I don't like okay. Harry Potter movies. I never. Yeah, have. I. So, just that's sorry, the first couple. You look at me like that's an absurd thing for me to say that I don't like the Harry Potter movies. No, no, I was. I, don't know, I just I, wouldn't I, put I, Harry Potter in a sci-fi genre. Technically, Harry Potter is sci-fi. Yeah, 
Well, okay, or, we're splitting like, hairs, but sci-fi I mean, and is, fantasy, yeah. that's a little different. I mean, fantasy's a, a hell of a... I mean, are, are, are we going to put freaking... Um, fantasy, or sci-fi... Willow? Is, is, is Willow sci-fi? <gasps> no, it is not. And he uses magic. No, no but it's Here a beautiful go. film. <laughs> it's a wonderful film. I'm just saying, if they're using wands and wizards and staffs and shit, it's not sci-fi, it's fantasy. Lord of the Rings is not sci-fi. It's not. It's not sci-fi. Okay, yeah. so, so okay, you take Harry Potter as fantasy, and I'm still going to not give a shit about it. That's pretty much how that's going to go. Yeah, so, Just, moral of the story, don't ever mix up sci-fi and fantasy, and who gives a shit where Harry Potter falls into that? <laughs> sci-fi is fantasy in space, okay? That's what it is. I'm, Star Wars is a great example. It's space wizards. It is. It is. <laughs> All right. So directors usually have a 10-week editing process after the film is done. But due to a short production schedule, which was actually shortened even more by, uh, you know, troubled production, you know, it was just, you know, things weren't working properly and whatnot. So they had a 10-minute editing schedule. Yeah. So, approaching release date and uh, principal, bleh, principal photography that had not finished, Anderson agreed to six weeks to edit, from 10 to 6. And Paramount wanted to put out a hit film, which they <laughs> they they put their chips in the wrong, the wrong they, they gambled wrong on this one. But they wanted a hit film before Titanic was coming out in September, which Titanic, I believe, is actually the highest grossing movie of all time still. Um I think oh, maybe, I see. I see a lot of similarities between that and this. I think maybe Endgame overtook it because they ended up re-releasing themselves as black and white just to kind of get that extra little boost, which I was fine with. You know, mm. I don't know. So, all right. So Anderson said that two hours and ten minutes was the final, like full cut of of his version of the movie, and it was too long with weak direction, which was kind of his fault. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and acting that could have used another editing pass, unfinished special effects, and poor sound mixing, which all led to poorly received test screenings. <laughs> so to fix this problem, they cut it down to, what did you say, 96 minutes? Yeah. But left the bad acting and terrible sound just for the hell of it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, towards the end, I feel like the... Uh, the, the um, sound direction was just more of like a hey this sound will sound will be good here and boom. there's and 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 granted i am kind of piggybacking off of some youtube videos i watched but they kind of pointed out that some of the like fight scenes and stuff near the end they're using like sound effects cd-rom sounds like yeah. punch sounds that you can get like downloadable <laughs> so there is a scene where sam neil like opens blinds in space, which I think it was really strange that he had blinds in space, and they actually used the sound uh, from Doom of doors opening. <laughs> okay, but see that I like. See that's yeah. more that's cute. Yeah. You know, I'm talking well, about like they're they're beating each other with like metal rods, and the sounds like, psh, 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 like <laughs> no. Technically, Doom came out in what 2005. Well, no, so no, you can honestly say no. The original game Doom. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the original Doom 
game. The one that was later made into a Noah's Ark. Awesome, <laughs> awesome movie. Wisdom Tree. Also directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Yeah, let's not talk about that. All right. So the poorly received uh, test screenings were pretty much all of the things that were listed as Anderson's complaints. And also the extreme gore. And uh, it was reported, it was claimed that some audience members fainted. So the initial cut ran for a total of 130 minutes, and it was so violent that both test audiences and the studio balked at the finished product. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> the Paramount executives, who had stopped watching the dailies, as I'd mentioned before, uh, before any of the gore was shot, were seeing the complete film for the first time next to the audience. And were appalled and shocked, is what I kept coming across. They were appalled and shocked. And so they ordered the film be cut by 30 minutes and also cut down to not receive that NC 17 rating Teen that rating. was originally given. <laughs> um, yeah. So the NC 17 is the kiss of death, of course, as we all know. Um, so Anderson said he didn't have enough time for a proper re edit and believes he cut out. 10 minutes too much. Do you really think 10 minutes is going to be what turns this movie around? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I really enjoy this movie, but not from a perspective of, Look, this is a great movie. I enjoy this movie there, from the perspective of, it's so bad, it's good. Before we get too much farther, are we going to go into like some of the gore that was in it, or are we still going to tiptoe around that shit? Um, I'm actually not really going to go into too much. Uh, actually, tiptoe, really, got it. Uh, the plot of the movie. So we'll tiptoe around it. But Sarge, by all means, if you want to dive into the gore of the movie. There is only one part of the movie that honestly made my skin crawl. And as a grown ass adult still makes my skin crawl. So and I'm that's when you, oh, I wanted to ask. Monster seems to have something to say, but I'm going to I want to hear what part made your skin crawl as a man who's been to war. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. All part. right. What do you think it is, Monster? I think it's the eyeball. Nope. Wait, no, okay. okay. No. So is Granted, it, I don't like stuff coming towards my eyes, but yeah, no, that doesn't make my like skin go. Yeah. Um, is it the part where the guy, I can't remember who it was exactly, was like hanging and like he's split open and his guts are spilled oh, out? Oh, when Sam Neill chops this dude open and removes his organs and flips him up? Yes. That dude is 100% alive <laughs> when Sam Neill takes that scalpel and starts cutting into him. Yep made my skin crawl even to this day like i balk at that part like uh. so i will give anderson a little bit of leadway here and say that adding 10 minutes of the gore and the horror wouldn't save the movie but if you took about five or ten minutes of the like comic relief out and put five or ten minutes of the gore in. Or character development. Yeah, like even the scenes where you've got guys like Fishbird and, and Sam Neill who were A-level actors, you know, more scenes with them, you know, conversating and, and arguing and that kind of stuff, character development stuff, and mixed in with a little bit more of that practical effect, violence and horror I, I don't think it saves the movie, but it makes it better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. You know, I never understood what it was until I watched, actually, uh, we, you and I may have watched the same YouTube video. Oh, I'm sure we did. I'm but, sure we did. 
but like there was this thing that never felt right about a, a one of the characters into the movie as a different character than when he started. And it wasn't like a character arc sort of development. It was like, he just kind of blended two characters, smashed two characters together that didn't actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think there's a character, I think his name is Cooper. It's, it's the guy that gets stuck out, like outside of the ship. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually the one I'm referencing. Yeah. Like he, he turns into a caricature of a person and it's, it's distracting. It, I understand that character in a movie like Doom that is very schlocky, but you're trying to make it the shining in space. Like you're trying to make this serious, hard R horror film. You don't put a guy like that in that movie. You, right. know, you, you just don't. don't. Right. There are some things that you should do. In, and I'm not a horror genre type guy. Like I'm not like monster. Right. Very I, few I can, people are. I can appreciate a few very horror true. movies. As long as they're original and they don't have too many spinoffs or sequels or remakes. That being said, like I Saw? think like <laughs> Saw, like Evil Dead. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm taking umbrage. Hold on. I'm, I'm pulling it. I'm, I'm stopping you right there. There's only three mainline Evil Dead movies. Okay. There's only three. And I'm not talking remakes and sequels and TV shows. Army of okay. Darkness, Evil Dead, and which one? Evil, Evil Dead, Dead 2. 2. Yep. Okay. But I'm talking about where they remade it with the new... That doesn't count. That doesn't count. It counts. It has the same name, same premise. No, no, it doesn't. Because yes, it does. No, because the bitch cut her like, arm off. It doesn't matter. Because... Yes! No, because Friday the 13th has 17 sequels because they all have Jason Voorhees. Evil Dead only has Ash Williams in the first three movies, and then the other ones are completely different characters that involve the Necronomicon, but they're not the same universe. They're, I mean, they're kind of in the same universe, but they're not the same. Continue. I enjoyed are, are, the are Evil you, Dead remakes. Good now? And oh, I did this too. Is, this did is why too. we don't invite you anywhere. <laughs> and Evil Dead had a good TV show, so... You know. Oh, Evil Dead had yeah. a great TV show. They had but I, I take umbrage. I'm just saying that I take umbrage when you lump that in with like Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th who have, and Saw, who have had 9, 10, 11, 12 sequels. You know, it's Evil, a little different. Evil Dead had a better TV show than Nightmare on Elm Street did. <laughs> <laughs> or Friday the 13th. Did Friday the so, 13th? I didn't realize it. Yep. They yeah, had Friday the 13th too. did. Yes, it did. And they all had video <laughs> games too. So Yes, they did. Yeah. Which I played the NES uh, Friday the 13th game with a pink jumpsuit, Jason? As a child? Yeah. As no. a child? It well, scared me to oh, death. Oh, yeah. No, as a kid, it'll it'll scare you, but the I, music. Played it, I played it like last week. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, speaking of the music, so Anderson, who had worked with the British band Orbital on the Mortal Kombat soundtrack, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He wanted to hire them for this movie. But Paramount was like, what? They're an unknown band. Why would we use them for this? But they had just made awesome music for Mortal Kombat. Yeah, true. So then we end up getting the uh, techno orchestral stuff that we got in this one. So, okay. Can you get K- KDF? K- KMFDM. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. I went through a phase when I was uh, right around when Mortal Kombat came out, when I was like 10 or 12, where I loved that like techno rock. Yeah. Like, Gravity Kills, KMFDM, Stabbing Westward, like 
way I shouldn't have been as into it as I was. So <laughs> when I was a senior, junior, senior, I can't remember which one in high school, um, I got invited to, with a friend to go to her prom at her school. And mm-hmm. I ended up making friends. I didn't even nobody there except for, except for my friend. And um, I ended up becoming buddies with the DJ, like warming up to him, I guess. And I got to put on KMFDM prom. <laughs> and do you remember was, what song? Nope, no idea. But I do remember. Yeah. I do remember it caused people to get so rowdy that the principal came over and turned it off. Like, like pushed the DJ out of the way and turned it off, and like called for like evacuation just to calm down. <laughs> God, that's great. It was, it was it was pretty great. All right, so let's talk about the cast of this movie. So, we've already mentioned a few of the people, but Lawrence Fishburne played uh, Captain Miller, and he was the commanding officer of the Lewis and Clark, which we all know Lewis and Clark were explorers that, you know, headed west in America. They they should have called him Captain Curtis. (laughs) So, (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tommy Lee Jones, and Bruce Willis were all considered and offered the role of Captain Miller, and they Mm -hmm. all turned it down. No, that's a Lawrence Fishburne role. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. I think the people who ended up in these roles actually are these roles. Like, I can't imagine anybody else in that role. So, all right. Sam Neill is uh, Doctor William or Billy Weir or Wire. I can't tell, but Weir. It's Weir in the movie. Right, I think- right. I know it's that in the movie, but Doctor Weir shares a name with historical figure Jonathan Weir, W E Y E R, whereas. In the movie, it's W-E-I-R. So, Wire, I think? I don't know. Um, also known as Weir or Wireus. I don't know. Like, it's. I found a couple different spellings of it, and it didn't quite sit right with me. So, anyway, he was a Dutch physician, occultist, and demonologist, which un- I can I see the, the relation there uh, to the movie. So, all right. So, Scott Glenn, who we had previously mentioned in, in um, Sucker Punch, and Bill Pullman were offered and turned down the role, and it went to Sam Neill. But it's another place where I can't imagine either one of them in that position because nope. Sam Neill was great in it. Which Sam Neill actually, um, when on their spacesuits, they all have like flags from where they're from, and Sam Neill, being from Australia, was like, I don't want an American flag on mine, and so he actually uh, came up with an Aboriginal flag as he thought. Australia's flag would be in this year of this movie. So fun little character development. No, not character development. I don't know. Character. Now, now you mentioned that Sam Neill's character as a demonologist, that's never really explained in the film though. No, 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 no. In the film, he's, he helped design the ship and the drives. Right. Right. Radical stuff. Is it it ever made clear though, that he's trying to reach this dimension or because he's not trying to reach the dimension to get the ship. Hang on. So he's not a demonologist in the movie per se, but he shares a name with a, Historical oh, figure. Okay. He was okay. a physician, occultist, and demonologist. So he's not Got a it. demonologist. So okay. okay. All right. And uh Jolie Richardson was uh Lieutenant Stark Stark? I don't know. Um so due to the rush production, filming was hard on the crew and it was rushed and also delayed and it was yeah. So the actors had their own set of problems outside of the technical difficulties on set. Jolie Richardson said that the script was incomprehensible and that none of the actors really understood it or the nature of the quote-unquote other dimension. 
but they were happy enough to work with each other to sign on. So I couldn't find anything else on this, but from that I took that they all knew each other and just wanted to work together, knew, knew each other or knew of each other. So extensive special effects like the bulky suits and fake blood. There's, um, so the one shining moment that jumps out to me is the, the elevator and the shining with the yep. blood coming out and the thing with the tank with the exploded the blood. Yeah. So lots of fake blood in that. Um, really on the nose there with that whole shining in space thing. Yep. <laughs> so, and the extensive makeup took a toll on the cast and there were so many accidents on sets on set, like where Richardson and Sam Neill were knocked out by a badly timed explosion. Ooh. <laughs> and they also suffered several other injuries. They felt that the movie itself was cursed, but in the end, Richardson said, wasn't such a fun project though, but the people were lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you say that job was terrible but the people were great As, yeah we've all been there yeah yeah. yeah. so and Jason Isaacs was uh, DJ the medical doctor of the Lewis and Clark so that's where Jason Isaacs you know is uh, tied to the uh, Harry Potter sci-fi or fantasy you pick which one I don't really care <laughs> anymore so alright so quick overview of the plot if there's a certain plot point that you want to talk about, we will. But set in 2047, follows a crew of astronauts as they are sent on a rescue mission after a missing spaceship. Uh, the event Horizon spontaneously appears in orbit around Neptune, only to discover a sinister force has come back with it. So then the movie is fading out. So the reason why Lawrence Fishburne is in the chair is because... <laughs> because... Because we're it, we're waiting. Yeah, I, so, I can't take the anticipation. So the scenes were filmed, like most movies, filmed out of order from when they're actually shown in the in the movie. The spacesuits were filmed beforehand, which caused some back issues for Lawrence Fishburne, and he had to do some sitting down. The spacesuits weighed sixty-five pounds each. Lawrence Fishburne nicknamed his Doris <laughs> due to the weight, standing upright in them for longer periods led to back injuries and sitting down was not possible due to the backpack. So special hanging poles were oh. built on set. So the actors could rest between the takes. Philip Eisner, the writer visited the set while the spacesuit sequences were being filmed. The suits were heavy and the actors wrist or the actors got back injuries from it, causing Lawrence Fishburne to stop between takes point at Eisner and shout you, you Eisner, you did this to me. <laughs> it's just it's just such a unintentionally funny visual to see this big man like i mean yep. he's a he's a yeah. big yeah. guy yeah. in this like little like high chair thing like flopping Beep around like god and it was like you don't really i've never really like understood the size of lawrence fishburne until he's next to keanu reeves <laughs> And for yeah. some reason that just makes him look bigger. And so it's yeah. like, I got an idea of how big he was in the matrix, but then he looks even bigger in, in John wick. Like, he just, well, I mean, I saw <laughs> cowboy Curtis next to Pee Wee Herman every day of my life for years. I knew he was a pretty big guy, Yeah, but that Jerry curl kind of adds a few inches. It does. It does. <laughs> so, all right, let's talk about the lost footage of this. So all of the, the stuff that was cut, 
So after the DVD release came out and it became a surprise hit gaining that cult following, that was when the studio was like, hey, maybe we should do a director's cut and release all this other stuff that we didn't like when it first came out. So, nope. so the, the lost footage was more of the hell sequences and the video log found on the event horizon. And they were shot by, by Anderson and Vadim Jean. I don't know who that person is that worked on the movie, but anyway, and it was mainly shot on the weekends video. The video log took a month of preparation and about a week to film. And according to producer Jeremy Bolt, real-life amputees and porn stars were dressed in extensive makeup to make the sequences as grotesque as possible, figuring that if you're going to go to hell, you've got to do it right. You can't tap dance. <laughs> and I I can't agree with that more. If you're going to do a film, if you're going to do a sequence that's in a film and going to hell, you got to just go for it. Not like in Spawn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and evidently some of the hell sequences involved orgies, which explains why there's porn stars as, you know. Um, and if you, if you really pay attention to the video log, it's so quick and it's so just, you know, the sporadic flashes of stuff. Yeah. There's, there's people having sex during yeah. that. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it's a mess. It's a big mess. <laughs> <laughs> so the, extra footage that was all on film because, and I appreciate this, all of those special effects were done in camera, which, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Monster and I are lovers of practical effects in movies. All of that film was improperly stored in salt, which is a common practice. You know, salt absorbs moisture and all. And it was far too deteriorated to actually compile as as uh, deleted scenes and lost footage it, you know, to produce that director's cut. Although he was not optimistic about the prospects of this, he did not rule out the possibility that the missing footage uh, would turn up one day, given that the director's cut of Nightbreed was, you know, the mm -hmm. extra footage of that had just turned up in a storage facility in 2014. Yep. So there's a possibility. Now, there has been this whole thing about a VHS copy of the lost footage that... Anderson and one of the producers have just not had the time to sit down and watch in the same country with a VCR, um, <laughs> which I find it hard to believe because I think pawn shops are an international thing and all of them have VCRs at this point. Amazon delivers everywhere. Yeah. I think you can get a VCR for 50 cents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I know I found them for under $5 at Goodwill before. So yes. Yes. Yeah. So I kind of take that as a cop-out for an explanation as to why they haven't. So, all right. It was released August 15th, 1997, as we mentioned before. And it was seen as a box office failure. It grossed $26,616,590 in the U.S., nearly $60 million internationally, for a worldwide total of $42 million on a $60 million budget. That is not a return. No, no that is not. <laughs> so even still, and I actually looked this up before we got started tonight. I actually went on Rotten Tomatoes, looked it up, and it's got a 34% as far as critics and 61 audience score. Critics still hate this movie. No one cares about critics. No. So our old friend Roger Ebert. Oh boy, I bet he loved this. Um, actually, I think Roger Ebert died. Sarge. <laughs> Thank God. 
Yeah. He's in hell where he belongs. Oh, the, oh, that, I mean, I don't have that strong of feelings about Roger Ebert, but he's in that cut footage from, from yeah, Event Horizon. Yeah. yeah with, you see him in there. He's the, the unru- he's the unwilling participant in an orgy. He's there with all the porn stars and amputees. <laughs> all right. So he gave uh, the film two out of four stars, saying it's atmosphere and noting the opening portions of the movie were well crafted, but it never managed to become intense, thought provoking experience it wanted to be. There's that stick in the landing that we mentioned before. Exactly. So. I actually don't really disagree with him on yeah. that. The Washington Post uh, called the film pointlessly loud. Check out that. Sorry, he upset me. Oh, you just kicked him out? Okay. He's mad because I agreed with Ebert for once. <laughs> once ever. I, there was a second I thought you left, and then Serge said he, that you upset him. So No, if I'm not going to leave after the uh, Evil Dead disrespect, I'm not going to leave after that. You know? <laughs> All right, so Time Out, a, uh, a British magazine, um, said that despite its, inc- its shortcomings, it's never dull. That it is not. <laughs> no, it is not. The movie avoids alien space monster cliches and contains more of the boo effects <laughs> that, you know, since Halloween, you know, like, so it basically they're saying that it achieved the space horror of things. So, all right. Since its release, it has developed a cult following. So I actually have cult following in my, my notes. That's better. Not, That's not, better. Yeah, cult film. So, all right. IGN noted noted its impact on Dead Space, on the Dead Space series, mm-hmm. and Doom 3. Sure, sure. Rotten Tomatoes wrote that its unforgettable imagery, standout cast, and escalating thrills made it a celebrated cult classic for horror aficionados. I don't know if I would go that far, but... Yeah, I wouldn't go that far with it, but... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a horror, horror aficionado, but I do like a horror film. Uh, I would say Monster's more of the aficionado. Um, but... You know, whatever. Total Film said the film has been cemented in pop culture history as both a cult classic and vital addition to the horror sci-fi subgenre. I would, I'll, I'll believe that. I'll. Okay, that. so as the resident aficionado, here's what I'll say. I'll say that horror, science fiction horror, is kind of a niche market, and there's a couple of classics. Then there's kind of a second tier. And I think, you know, you got Alien, you got Predator, you've got like that pretty high caliber. But if you go like one step down with movies like Sunshine and Cube, um, Ex Machina, there's a lot of good stuff there that takes science and twists it and makes it really dark and scary. And I think that like Event Horizon is to those as like, the burning or the prowler are to slasher films. Like if you've seen all the Friday, the 13th, you've seen all the Halloween's and you like that, try the prowler, try sleepaway camp. If you've seen cube and you've seen sunshine and you've seen the alien movies, eh, give them in horizon a try. It's, I like more of sunshine and, and cube. I, me too. Yeah. Me too. That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like that's one step down from your alien and predator and that level. And then event horizons, like one more step down from cube and that level. I'm pretty sure cube actually, uh, all scenes in the cube thing. Like, yeah, that was all 
like the same door. <laughs> I, oh, it's Sarge. Have you ever seen the movie Cube? I have seen the movie Cube. That for for our listeners, I feel like it's not as well known as it should be. That movie is what it manages to do in such a tight little package is incredible. That that movie blew me away the first time I saw it. It's a great movie. I, I it's really great. It. I actually really good. I actually enjoyed the sequel, Hypercube. Yep. I've yeah. I've there's like three or four of them, and I think I've seen most of them. They're all pretty decent. I didn't know Cube, that was cubed. Cubed. Yeah, cubed. Yeah. Cube cubed. Cube, yeah. Cube, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I didn't even know there were multiple I didn't know there was more after Hypercube. So Yeah, there's a few. I can't remember. All right, so Fangoria said that the that it was Anderson's best film, which I'm not going to disagree with them, uh, knowing the other things Anderson did. No, I disagree. I don't think it is. What do you think Anderson's best movie is? Now, taking the nostalgia glasses off of the Mortal Kombat thing, I honestly think the first Resident Evil is a little bit better. But it's it not ain't a good got Resident Evil movie though. No, no, it ain't got shit to do with the game. Like you just call it generic zombie movie number twenty-seven. Don't call it Resident Evil, and it's not bad. Um, I think because it's called Resident Evil, it gets a bad rap. But I don't think it's that bad. So on reevaluation, Anderson said. It's finally got the reaction now that I was hoping it would get 25 years ago. So, Anderson said the movie's cult status was actually predicted to him by Kurt Russell. He had shown a screening of Event Horizon before they started on Soldier, and Russell said, forget about what this movie's doing now. In 15 years' time, this is going to be the movie that you're glad that you made. Which, I don't know, if Kurt Russell told me the sky was pink, I would go, yes, sir. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kurt, uh, all right, Soldier was a great movie. Um, let's see, Monster Hunter was also done by Anderson. That was a good, that was a decent movie based off a video game. I didn't Wasn't see it. terrible. Yeah, yeah. Mila Jovovich um, again, right? Yeah. Yep. And, yeah. and um, oh, what's his name? Tony Jaw? No. I think so. Michael J. White. It's not my. Yeah, that was my next guess. No, no, no. Tony. I think. It, hold on. All right, hold on. Boom. Looking it up. It is. Yeah, Tony Jaw. Ron nice. Perlman. Um. Yeah, it's right. a pretty decent movie based on video game. So, as far as any sequel to this movie goes, in August two thousand two, Anderson said that there's always been talk of a prequel and/or sequel. And stated, nope. and stated that he has kept the projects from becoming a reality because he wants to preserve the originals, the original film's ambiguity. Which, I can appreciate that. And I can't imagine Sam Neill coming back in now in his elder man <laughs> sta- status and, and being in a prequel for it. Because oh. I'm pretty sure in the movie, Sam Neill's character was on the ship before, but it's never actually said that he was part of the ambiguity of, of things. So... God, I forgot Anderson did Alien versus Predator. God, maybe I do hate him. Um, I actually will make a believer out of you by your own means. <laughs> so, this this might be a controversial statement. I actually think this is the kind of movie that would not be too terrible to actually have a remake of, because yeah, I, I think the 
haunted house in space concept is doable and would be effective with modern technology and modern effects, especially with like the taste in horror. Now you can be a little bit more violent and bloody and gory and it be more acceptable. I, I, I don't know. I feel like a, a more violent, like more to the original idea remake might actually be good. And Jordan Peele will produce it. It's, it'll, it's either going to be Blumhouse or A24. So that's those are your two directions. Yeah. All right. So there has been a television series talked about, which I am not opposed to this. And so given some of the television series that I've seen, you know, the Twisted Metal series was a great series. I thoroughly enjoyed every bit of that. So in 2019, a television series was reported to be in development by Paramount Television and Amazon Studios. Now, Adam Wingard is set to direct the series. Adam Wingard directed Godzilla vs. Kong, the Blair Witch reboot, The Guest, Your Next, and the live-action version of Death Note. So, I think he might be able to do it. I don't know. Like, his stuff is very up and down. Yeah. I think it all depends on, on the, you know, studio, the production team, and all that. So... In addition to serving as executive producer alongside Larry Gordon, Lloyd Levlin, and Jeremy Platt, Gordon and Levlin previously held producer roles on the original film. And the last thing I could find as far as the television series is it is in development at Amazon. I kind of wish it was in development at Paramount Plus, not Amazon, but we'll see. I don't know. But this was, be- but it was before, 2019 was before Amazon or, uh, uh, Prime and Paramount Plus were actually fully developed. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. But that's all I've got on Event Horizon. So, Sarge, what have you been up to lately? You've been reading, watching, listening to anything? Uh, listening to some podcasts. I've been um, going back and forth with uh, some external entities to figure some, some stuff out for our programs and shows, which you guys are kind of caught up to speed on that we'll get into more of that later but other than that just got my daughter a driver's license now my evenings are kind of freed up hmm. <laughs> your evenings are freed up to go somewhere and drinks because she's a dd 100 <laughs> percent. yeah monster what about you what have you been reading watching or listening to well we know uh, what he's been watching starts with an h ends an i oh hentai yeah. Oh God, no. Um, well, none of the above. Uh, I have been playing. I've been replaying the Quarry, which is the uh, super massive game from a couple years ago. Same studio that did Until Dawn and the uh, Dark Pictures anthology. It's like choose your own adventure horror. Already played through it once. Um, most of my characters died, so I figured I'd give it a, a second run through choose some different options, see what happens. It's so, it's just, it's schlocky B-horror movie fun. Yeah, you remember when Amazon came out with uh, their first, like, choose-your-own-adventure thing? It was called Bandersnatch? Or not Amazon, Netflix did. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I did that with, uh, with the ex-wife, and we went through it, like, three times, and when we got done, we went, that kind of sucks, but maybe it was our own fault. Yeah. <laughs> well, these super massive games, I've I've played them all, and I have a lot of fun with all of them. And I always try to play each one of them 
twice. I, I you know, you kind of get an idea of, okay, well, if I choose this, this happens. So if I choose the opposite, the opposite will happen. And that's not always the case, but that's usually the case. So you kind of get a feel for like, okay, what am I going to do? I did this last time. I'm going to do it this, this way this time just to see what happens, you know? Yeah. So I actually uh, just finished watching a documentary series on Netflix called Twin Flames. And mm. yeah. Um, I just heard about this. Wow. Really, really good. Uh, surprisingly good. It's a, like a weird little occult that happened. Uh, not occult, but it's a weird cult that happened that I, at the end of the, uh, the entire thing, I kind of went, these guys are smart and how they did the whole thing. But it's basically like, a dating service that got out of hand. It's a yeah. dating service cult through Zoom, basically. Right. Pretty, pretty much, pretty much. Nuts. It's it's definitely worth your time, Sarge, if you want to check it out. Like it, I highly recommend it. Um, at the end of the first episode, it went okay, and then the second episode, it went oh shit, this is, <laughs> this, is this is deep. But anyway, all right. So that has been E is for Event Horizon. Uh, what are we talking about for F? F monster is going to enlighten us all on Frankenstein. F is for Frankenstein. Cool. All right. Well, the doctor, or the monster. Yes. There we go. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Ambugu- <laughs> ambiguous at that. Yeah. So we're going to keep it ambiguous as far as if we're going to talk about monster or uh, doctor or bride. I don't know. We'll see. Or son. Or yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. And <laughs> and we may meet Abbott and Costello. I don't know. We'll see. But thanks for listening to this episode of the Is For Podcast. Please check us out on one of our social media platforms, on one of our social medias, on one of the social media platforms, Facebook, Danger and Sarge, at, uh, or shoot us an email at dangerandsarge.gmail.com. I am just fumbling over all of it, and I do apologize. Wow, you yeah. are Late. All right, I dialed nine one. If he swallows his tongue, I'll dial the other one. <laughs> All right, I'll send you my address before I swallow my tongue. Thank you. you. Can send them here. All right. Anyway, uh, Facebook X or Instagram, Dangerous Hard to Cross. All of those. Please check out Tales from Reddit on Spotify or uh, any other place that you get your podcast. Um, and then also Breakdowns for Breakfast. Check out the Breakdowns for Breakfast Facebook page. And um, yeah, that's all I got. Guys, it's been fun. That's all you got. Sounds good. Bye. I know, right? (laughs) It's over. Done. Done.